I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. It's great to have your company has just gone midday Australian Eastern Standard Time. That means it's time for the call. Two experts, 10 stocks recommended by you. Where the experts give their analysis. We do it all in 60 minutes. And today we have a full panel of live bodies in our Brangaroo studios. Great to have uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, good to have you along again yes, today. It's good to be here with a full house. Yeah. And Andrew Page from Strawman. Um, great to have you here, Andrew, rather on Skype. Um, Michael and I have already been scarred today by Andrew's <laughs> comment when he walked in saying, just tough to be wearing pants. Yeah. <laughs> the sacrifices I make. We really, <laughs> and it conjured up all images of Michael and I thinking what yeah. has been going on downstairs um, during our uh, previous uh, calls with uh, with Andrew Page. But it's great to have you in here. It's Pleasure fantastic. to be here. Thank you. Uh, so we look at 10 stocks of the day uh, as suggested by you, but we always start with one that is in the news at the moment. Of course, Viva Energy, it's shares surging yesterday as the impact of the COVID crisis starts to ease. Sales lifted more than 16% in May as pandemic restrictions were lifted with declines in retail sales offset by cost cutting and improved margins. Don't forget, understand that Viva owns basically all the, all the Shell stores and the Shell um, uh, Bowsers and uh, service stations and owns a Shell name in Australia. It's now expecting first half earnings on a replacement cost basis to come in between 257 and 287 million dollars. Viva also confirming its on-market buyback will begin this month after it pressed the pause on the buyback at the height of the pandemic. And interestingly, um, saw a bit of a announced a bit of a change in strategy. Um, they own the refinery in Geelong, but they're going to focus more on renewables. Now this morning, J.P. Morgan has come out and dug. Um, recommended to investors go overweight in Viva. So um, they're impressed with it. Michael Wayne from Medallion, are you yeah. impressed with it? Oh, look, I mean, those updates yesterday were all definitely positive. Yeah. Um, it's quite a, a, a vertically integrated business. And they've obviously got a lot of the petrol stations, but they've got some infrastructure assets as well. Um, they're the second player to Ampol or the old Caltex in Australia. Yep. They still deliver, I think, 25% of the fuel needs to Australians. So it's, it's definitely a substantial business. Um, look, long term though, although it looks like decent recovery is taking place there, long term I do see some headwinds for this business. Um, there's definitely a move towards renewables. Um, there's obviously yep. more efficient vehicles these days than in previous decades as well in terms of fuel usage. There's electric cars coming in as well that are only expected to grow in terms of their prominence on the roads. Uh, and also in the short term, aviation fuel is a big driver for them. And we still haven't seen uh, air travel start to pick up to decent levels just yet. So although the easing of the restrictions is a short term positive, 
long term, there's just so many variables going into a business like this, whether it's yeah. the currency, they had a one-off yeah. boost from some currency hedge they had in place, there's the oil price. There's also a retailing aspect to this as well, sort of getting people to go from the, the E10 to the premium petrol, yep. what margins can you derive from that? Um, so that it's quite a complex business, and for that reason we tend to steer clear. Okay, so a no from Medallion. All right, what about you, Andrew? Yeah, I think this one's come up yeah. every time we've been on together, Definitely actually. last time. And yeah. I don't think we've, we've ever really been too positive on it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's unfair to be too critical. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a massive business, you know, they make money. They've had a very rough run. Um, that's not their fault. But, you know, you can afford to be choosy on the market. It's yeah. super capital intensive. You're sort of subject to a litany of factors that are outside of, of your control. There's longer term structural factors that Michael was sort of talking about. Yeah. Um, I, I dug up the, the forecast, uh, consensus forecast from analysts just on Comsec before I came on. They're targeting a per share earnings of nine cents per share in FY22. So if right. you say go out two years, hopefully all of this coronavirus stuff is, is dealt with by then, you're still looking at today's price on a PE of about 18 times that, you know. Right. So it's, it's not cheap. And right. for a business that's probably, it's this, this isn't like a zero or something that's going to be growing at high double digit rates for a long time. You know, at best, I think you kind of longer term, it normalizes that to an upper single digit yeah. kind of thing. So market was sort of a bit fixated the coverage this morning of this what they're doing with the Geelong refinery which has been a, a real Achilles heel mm. for them apparently yeah. and how they're going to shift more into renewables uh, you know renewables is a sexy term or sexy story at the moment yeah so yeah and that, that, that talks to that capital in, intensity you know yeah. that, those kinds of assets just cost a fortune to run and and those assets are really only generating decent economic returns when you've got enough sort of stuff going through them and and as we've seen that can fluctuate around yep. a lot so it's, it's just a really tough business and for that you're getting a normalized yield of about 2.8 percent so the question as an investor is always you know, not is this an okay investment, is this the, one of the best investments? And yep. I, I don't think no. it is. Okay, it is. all right. A no from uh, both Andrew and Michael there. Our first stop suggested by you, and Shanavez sent this in uh, for an opinion, and Andrew Seek, the uh, online job advertisement business. Yeah, now um, this is a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Took the rivers of gold away from the Fairfax Media Empire and News Limited, yep. along with car sales. They took the car. It, side of it. And, and, and not it. just that, they, they took the ball and they ran with it, Koshy. Yeah. Like they, these guys have done such an incredible job and over such a long period of time as well. Um, and it's just the, the structure of the business is so much better than, than um, the old newspaper business as yep. well in terms of the scale and the leverage and, and whatnot that they have. Um, and the best thing about a business like this is it's got what you call network effects. So the more people who are advertising jobs on there, the more job seekers that are looking on there, the more job seekers that are looking on there, the more you're inclined to advertise on there. It's this virtual circle. So when you see network businesses like that, you know, the industry tends to be dominated by one, two, maybe three, yeah. and they just have it to themselves. And you I can look- That's weird, is that REA has domain trying to take it on. Yeah. But you're right, I hadn't thought about that. Seek has really no one. Not, not my, Indeed came along, I think they're still around. Right, okay. um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, 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 it, there is a very big gap between sort of first, maybe second, and then third. Yeah. And so they, they have, they have the, the industry tied up. So it's wonderful. These guys have doubled their revenues in the last five years. Um, and, you know, it, back five years ago, people were sort of saying, have, have all the best gains sort of been made. Um, uh, the other thing that's really interesting about Seek is that they are intentionally less profitable than they could be. 
because these guys are very long-term focused investors and they've got an excellent track record of great ROI on the things that they buy and invest in. And so they could cut a lot of that tomorrow and their profitability would jump through the roof, but they're not. And so I think if you're an, and I think that's a smart move, by the Mm. way. And I think if you're an investor in Seek, you really need to look at this three, five years sort of plus. Um, Yes, it's not been great with what's happened with coronavirus. We've seen a lot of volume fall away there. But on a broader picture, I think it's a great business. And I think it's about fairly priced. Okay. what do you reckon? Yeah, I agree uh, with those sentiments. It's one yeah. we've had in the, the, the model portfolio since inception of Medallion. It's been Driven a, by the Bassett brothers. Is it? Yeah, um, yeah. Andrew and Paul, who are just That's right. dynamite mm. as business people. And Andrew owns uh, Square Peg or involved yep. in that, which is a very big venture capital business based in Melbourne mm-hmm. as well. That's so right. So this is a very a, entrepreneurial. A great success story. It hasn't actually been the best performer over sort of a four-year period since we've had it in the portfolio. It's done okay. I've had better performers. Right. Well, certainly had worse performers too. But we want to stick with this one for the long term. Um, these days, they generate, I think, as much revenue from their overseas businesses than they do from their domestic operations. Obviously, the domestic operations are far more mature, far more profitable, higher margins. But over time, it's definitely conceivable the overseas businesses will start to dwarf the domestic operations. Yeah. They've got, obviously, Zhao Ping is the big one in, in China. Uh, they've also got exposure to places like Brazil, Mexico, other areas in Southeast Asia where they own either the leading or, or the top two job classified website in those countries. So. Like Andrew pointed out, they've sacrificed profitability in the short term from their Australian operations, using basically the revenue and the earnings from Australia to fund their overseas expansion. Mm-hmm. And they've got, their, their, they've got a big foothold there, and over time that will hopefully start to become profitable and they'll generate some enormous returns from those okay. investments. So it's one that we like. There's, I think the, the nearest competitors, they're seven times greater than the nearest competitor wow. when it comes to job asset classified listings. Um, they've done a good thing with pricing, similar to what realestate.com did where... The average person now goes on Seek, doesn't go for the basic ad package, they go for the premium package, which has helped them boost margins despite job ads really flatlining or coming down significantly. Uh, They have had big falls in job ads recently, which is not unexpected. So maybe the the big bounce in share price is hard to fathom because we haven't really seen the numbers bounce back yet. But from a long-term perspective, it's one that we're happy to stick with. Okay, at 21 bucks? 21 bucks, I'm probably holding for the moment. I'll wait and see how their report comes out in August, just to see how the job ad declines are affecting their revenue, but it's one that we think is worth persisting with from a long-term perspective. At $21? Yeah, I think so, yeah. All right. Our second stock come has been suggested by Raj and uh, Michael, EML payments, Mm -hmm. um, prepaid, sort of basically cards, isn't it? and a payment system had a big run in the last yeah. last couple of weeks. It's been a bit of a market darling, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, look, it's definitely, that's why it keeps, I think, coming up a lot. It's definitely one that all the retail investors have sort of latched upon. It's across all the different platforms and, and, and forums, etc. Um, look, it's a, a business that took a big, big fall at the worst of the crisis and has since recovered very rapidly. And again, I've missed it just as I missed it when it was sort of $1 a couple of years ago. Uh, a very good quality company, basically provide gift cards, um, which is sort of like you would expect from a lot of the old retailing outlets. Uh, they provide reloadable credit cards, which is used for online gaming, amongst other things, and then a business to business payment um, platform. Um, and so far, they gave an update fairly recently. And so far, the only one to really be affected by the COVID-19 is, unex- is expectedly the gift card business, where they've seen big declines. But the other parts of the business have held up really well, and that's added fuel to the fire 
and a little match underneath the share price and seen it bounce back pretty quickly. Um, look, the thing I like about this business is the fact that it's managed to continue to grow its original parts of the business. So they've obviously grown through acquisition, but they've also continued to grow organically, which I think is a positive. Um, but again, at these prices, I find it hard to justify the purchase. I've so far been sitting on the sidelines watching with interest, and I think I'll have to continue to do right. that at these levels. <laughs> Andrew, what about you? Yeah, I've missed it too. Um, uh, it has, you mentioned it's been popular on the, yeah. on the forums. It's raced up the rankings on Strawman. It's number three there now. Wow. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of people done very well in sort of catching, catching near the bottom there. Um, yeah, I think it's got a lot, a lot to like about it. They, the gift card business is, um, as, you, as you said, sort of the bread and butter. But this move into this um, payment system, enabling other fintechs to take on sectors that have historically been pretty lazy and pretty slow to sort of adapt to the new world, like the banks and the insurers and this kind of stuff. So they're kind of an enabler in that space too, which I kind of like because yeah. you know you can sort of um, a lot of a lot of parties can can use your services. Not all of them are going to be successful, but you get to participate. You sort of have this diversified portfolio of, of customers, and yeah. some of them are likely to do pretty well, and you'll benefit from that indirectly as well. Very strong balance sheet. Eighty percent of their money comes from offshore. Eighty-five percent of it is in recurring, recurring in nature too. Yeah, so good, it's just really reliable. So they've got that inbuilt annuity. Just, just lovely. In yep. You know, so, so sometimes you've got to watch the, the definitions that companies apply with re recurring revenues. Some some recurring revenues are more recurring than others. Stickier uh, than others. Yeah. But but yeah. look, there's there's a lot to like about it. Um, on on Strawman, the the community there's come up with a consensus valuation of four dollars sixty three. Oh um, wow. I don't own it, so there's a little bit of up, upside there, but. Um, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a lot to like. Okay, all right. So yes, from yes from the from community. You, you know, I, the I'm community. not going to I'm not going to put my own hat in. Oh, just yet, just no, come on! <laughs> you can't do that. Would you be buying it at these prices? Uh, no, yeah, why not? Let's okay. do that. All right. Okay. So uh, thank you for that, Raj. Uh, a yes and a no from uh, from Andrew and Michael. But both agree it's a terrific company, really well managed. Um, now, if you can get it on pullbacks, that's all the better. Mm. All right, our third stocks is suggested by David, uh, Kodan, which is uh, a manufacturer. Basically, it's made its mark in metal detectors. You know, people that go up and down the, the beaches and stuff like that, but uh, for mining, uh, it's got a bit into communication, um, only recently, I think, um, based in South Australia, uh, big skew towards that mining technology area, pretty big. Uh, business um, over a hundred million dollars in revenue, Andrew. Yeah, not bad for for metal detectors. Yeah, I right? know. Um, these are these are your premium metal detectors yeah, yeah, too, yeah. right? So these, these are the industrial ones. These, you don't get these at Kmart, right? No. Like these are these are the really impressive ones. And um, yeah, like lately they've had a really good run in terms of the share price, but more importantly the, the fundamentals of the business. Earnings growth have been going really well. They did get into some trouble from memory a few years back uh, with some counterfeit products yes. um, which which hit them a, a little bit but um, yeah I, I think that there's there's definitely um, uh, good performance there historically there's a strong balance sheet which is which is always nice to see but particularly at times like this 70 million in net cash debt free as I understand it um, uh, a higher gold price helps there as well it sort yeah. of encourages the speculators to get or the pros prospectors I should say to get out there and, and have a little bit of a dig around quite literally um, uh, but the thing I think you have to remember with this kind of equipment manufacturing kind of business is that, you know, when we talk about SaaS and software, there's all these recurring revenues. I mean, you've got a, 
you can sell a million metal detectors this yeah. year, but like to grow, you've got to sell a million and one the next yeah. year, you know? Yeah. And so it's just, it's just a tough business. Um, I think they're very well positioned in the market globally. I think they'll be around for a long time. I, but, bar, but being mindful of that lumpiness and looking at a company like this, which we've, we've seen, we've seen those fluctuations in earnings before. It's now on a price earnings ratio of 27. Wow. It sort of seems up there for this kind of, yeah. kind of business. They even hinted, I think, at the most recent half that we, we had a great, great transaction recently, but that's unlikely to be repeated in the following right. year. So, you know, all of that sort of rolled into it. It's, it's not something I would say never say, I'd, I'd never say never, but not now for me. Um, and Michael, they, they did start pushing this, we're diversifying into communications mm. sort of technology to get away from being a, a one-trick yeah. sort of pony with the metal detectors, but it hasn't grown that big, has well, it's it? Only, yeah, look, it's similar to Viva, potentially, with the renewables. It's one of those things that sounds good, but is it yeah. actually contributing much to the bottom line? And the answer for Coden is no. They're still very much the metal detector yeah. business. They've had a couple of recent contract wins. They've got a good partnership with Caterpillar, I think, which enables some of their products to end up in some of the BHP mines and some of the other large mines globally. But they also cater to the, the amateur metal detector. You know, he's going along the beach looking for a $2 coin, that sort of thing, or a lost ring. So they've got a, a broad customer base. But as, as Andrew pointed out again, the management have flagged that the contract wins from last couple of years won't necessarily be replicated going forward. Yeah. It's been an incredible business, and I've never quite understood how they've managed to grow so rapidly, but they have. Um, and it's, yeah. I think because they've got such a diversified customer base, ranging from the very large miners all the way down to the mums and dads but if you get a change in that product mix um, and there's a, a greater focus on say the retail customer compared to some of those big contracts things can change very quickly and the margin breakdown to, compared to say the large contracts is actually higher for their retail smaller oh, um, customers yeah. than it is for okay. their large customers so right. obviously so they got, obviously they got to, well that's what they got to sell retail. more units and greater volumes at that level but they actually make a lot more money right on, on that sort of stuff but it does have an element of alignment to the gold price because a lot of the amateur users do use it for that. Um, so you do see it sort of oscillate a little bit and it correlated a little bit with the gold price. But look, it's done a terrific job in growing the way it has, but it's not the sort of business that I'll be looking at in this environment. Right, okay. All right, so I know there for you, uh, David, on Kodan. Now, our fourth stock, uh, Michael, is, is a really fascinating one because mm -hmm. we talk about yeah. A2 milk and sort of the, the secret ingredient yeah. or that A2 Amiga product. Uh, Clover has been um, suggested by Kylie, who wants uh, a view on it. It's, it uses Omega-3 oils, which I think is the same that goes in A2, or is part of uh, that protein, isn't it? But it's, it's slightly different, but right. it's, that's their feather yeah. in their cap that that's they right. have these that fish oils. That goes in infant formula, children's foods, medical supplements. Yeah. Now. Omega-3 is fish oil that always stinks. Well, this is one that doesn't stink. Is basically the key to yeah. it, isn't it? But well, that's, that's the net good, point good of difference, and, right? Uh, take it. Well, I think <laughs> this one at least is scientifically proven, um, right. whereas I think the A2 compound is still up for debate as to right. whether or not it's legitimate in terms of the, the benefits that it provides. Yeah. Um, look, there's a very good chance that it does, but I think so far there's yet to be consensus in the scientific community. With the Omega-3s, I think there's consensus that this does have some health benefit. Um, Clover's done a very good job in getting a, a foothold in China. They've seen some very good numbers throughout this period um, of lockdown. For some reason, people are buying more infant milk formula when they're at home. Um, they've also benefited a bit from the currency depreciation 
which has since reversed. So management here have also come out and suggested that the benefits that they've received in the last couple of months won't necessarily be replicated in the months going forward. Uh, and what concerns me a little bit about the A2 milks, not so much A2 milks, they've got the, probably the, the brand leading name, but Clover, some of the smaller ones is the changing consumer tastes, changing consumer fashions, the fads can evaporate really uh, yeah. overnight. Yeah. So it's hard to know whether they've got a sustainable moat or not. So for us, it's never one that we've really looked at and it's not one that we would buy. Okay. Mm. And, and Andrew, I suppose their, their story is it goes into everyone else's product, doesn't mm. it? So it's not to, they're not like an yeah. A2 milk where they sell so, their yeah. own product. They sell it to other manufacturers to go to go into it. Their moat is it doesn't smell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and it's it's a non-smelly omega three. Well, they're not the only ones who can do it as well. Oh, there's yeah. about there's a four others, like three or four others around the world that can do okay. it as well. They license their tech from CSIRO or something was yes. developed there. Yeah, yeah. And um, but the other com- competitors they're up against big multinational uh, companies. And so at the end of the day, it it is somewhat. It's got commodity type aspects and, and right. commodity producers generally don't have great economics. You've always got to look in, you know, there's, there's obviously a product or a service at the end and there's a raw material at the start yep. and there's this big long value chain. And generally speaking, there's one or two players that, that get, take all the cream on the way through and everyone else subsists uh, on these razor thin margins. And so I don't know Clover well enough, but I, I, I have to say that they, they seem to have something going for them though, because they've had a r- remarkable run. These yeah. guys were 50 cents not that long ago. Um, to Michael's point, we've had yeah. this big surge in, in demand for, for um, formula and other kind of stuff. There's, there's regulatory tailwinds there as well as I understand it with mandating certain limits of this stuff. So it's all, things are all sort of going in their favor. Um, which is great. I read a report recently where the, the analyst was, was calling for um, sort of 10 to 15% uh, compound earnings growth over the next couple of years, which if true, the, the current price earnings of 35 actually ain't, ain't that terrible mm. at all. Um, but the devil's always in the detail. It's hard to sort of give a quick comment on something after you've spent half an hour looking mm. at it. And for, yeah. for me, it, it's certainly, it's, it's, uh, it warrants a further look, but I, right. I would really want to understand where the, the power dynamics lie in that value chain. I suspect they're, they're, they're probably not with Clover. A2 is the classic example. Yeah. They're a marketing company, right? Yeah. They take all the profit there. It's they, not, they it's they not produce, the dairy farmers yeah. that they milk the cows. They no milk at all, do they? You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and I think that, that would be the thing to focus on. Right, okay. All right. So, so cautious, maybe, like, for uh, me. Okay. A watch. A watch, okay. yes. All right. Yes. A, a watch from Andrew, a no from... Uh, uh, from Michael. Um, our fit stock comes from Charlie, suggested uh, Pilbara Minerals. Um, whenever you think of Pilbara, you think of iron ore, but this is a lithium and tantalum producer um, and has a big lithium project in the Pilbara area around Port Hedland. Um, Michael, do you follow Pilbara? No, not this one. I mean, it's one of these lithium stocks that had their moment in the sun going back a couple of years now. Obviously, the lithium price has come so back what's to the field. It's from well, it's it for used, batteries. Yeah. Used for batteries. I think yeah. in the storage capacity of batteries, right. it's got a component there. I think, but um, look, it's not because it was such a fad early on. It's not nothing I ever really looked into in that much detail. But Pilbara Minerals have a one mind that they've basically brought to the point where it's now in production, which is a positive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but initially, the big thing with lithium. Um, is that there wasn't much of it produced. But you've had this situation unfold where once the price got high a couple of years ago, all of a sudden everyone's looking for lithium and starting to develop these mines. But the problem is 
there's a lag between when you decide you want to build a mine and, be, and lag between when you then start extracting it out of the ground. So these guys have done a great job in getting the mine into the production phase, but the problem is they're now producing into a market which is quite weak. Yeah. So they're not extracting that much um, given yeah. their marginal cost of production. They're still looking to ramp up the production figures and everything like that. So they've done a very good job in that respect. But ultimately, it's a one mine, one commodity producer, and it's at the mercy of the lithium price. Yeah, and you looked at that that price; it's yeah. gone from what a dollar thirty down to twenty eight cents. Well, it's the same with you know Galaxy was always spoken about. There was always Oricobre. There was a couple of these lithium companies that were literally going parabolic, and then the wind started to come out of lithium price as more and more supply was expected to come online, and that supply shock has now hit, and there's just market flooded with supply basically right. lithium. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, this one's come up a few times, I think, since we've been on together yeah. as well. And um, so I'll, I'll cut and paste the comments there. It's, it's a business that um, there's a lot of first sort of level thinking in here. And you, and you can't fault people um, from, from going down this track. And they, they look at the progression of the electric vehicle industry and just battery technology in general, and they go, the world is going to need a heap of lithium. Mm. And I think that's a pretty actual, that's a Good sensible- story. Electric cars, mm. yeah. so, batteries they, these for things, solar, Everything, sort of yep. everything, and and big ones too, like the one that Musk built in South Australia, you know? Yeah. So there is, I think the, the, the the jury's in on that one, right? right? We're going to need a lot of it. It's a good story. It's a good story. However, just because there's going to be a lot of something needed doesn't mean that those who provide it are going to make a lot of money, which is where I think people trip up. This is a, a, as a commodity. It's it's classified as a rare earth, which makes it seem a bit like gold or platinum. There's just not much of it. There's tons of lithium. Yeah. Lithium, I don't know if any chemists or physicists out there, but you know, it's one of the most abundant elements in the universe, and it's very abundant in the earth's crusts. The name is an historic anachronism anachronism of um, rarely mined ah. minerals so they just weren't there wasn't much of an industrial use for them so they were they weren't mined they right. were rarely right. mined ah, okay. rare earths right. um, but there's tons of the damn stuff and as Michael <laughs> said when the price goes up and the when the when the demand side of things increases there is a supply response and that can take a little while as, as production is brought on but once that production hits once that supply hits I mean, lithium is lithium is lithium. It, it's an organic. It's a it's a it's an element, yeah. right? So so then it just comes down to who can produce it the cheapest. Right. So there's there's all of those dynamics in play. Um, one thing that's always interesting with these companies, and it happens all of the time, they never make any money for starters. And you wonder, well, how have they been around for so long? Well, it's because they keep issuing new shares. These guys had. I looked it up. These guys had 330 million shares on issue five years ago. Today they've got 1.8. Uh, billion shares on issue. So that's a billion shares. Individual shares. So it's a 5.6 fold increase in the number of shares that these guys have outstanding. Oh. And hope springs eternal. There's always a big, um, you know, cohort of investors who go, oh, lithium, yes, oh, you know, and there's, a, there's, there's, there's very optimistic um, uh, presentation decks and the rest of it. And I'm not trying to suggest for a second anything untoward is going on. No. You know, it is great that there are companies out there that are producing what the world needs. Yeah. I just don't want to be a part of right. it. <laughs> I like to make money on my investments. And, and by the sound of it, it, it's one of those companies when when the market does turn and the cycle goes towards lithium, mm, yeah. they go and raise yeah. to make more money. Yep, yep. Well, they so, acquire assets or something right, like okay. that to burn All through right. the capital. I mean, if you can time it well, I mean, yes, fantastic, but you know, right. that's hard to do. Okay. All right. There you go, Charlie. And O from both from both Michael and, and Andrew on um, on Pilbara Minerals. Uh, that's our fit stock. 
for the uh, for the afternoon. Let's just recap. Um, seek uh, a yes from um, from Andrew, a hold from Michael. Both love the company, really well operated. Uh, the Bassett brothers who are very big in the AFL as well. One of them is the president of St Kilda and the other one is on the AFL commission. So yeah. they're mad AFL nuts but run a great business. <laughs> <coughs> Second uh, stock was EML payments. A yes from Andrew, uh, a no from Michael. Codan, a no from both on that. Uh, Clover, um, Andrew's going to watch it, um, but a no from, uh, from Michael. And Pilbara Minerals, both a no from Andrew and Michael. Let's get on to our sixth stock. Uh, this one from Alexander. It's a fintech. Um, was um, uh, listed not that long ago. Provides consumer financing services. Mainly offers business loans for the retail, hospitality, healthcare, franchise, professional services industry. So one of these new uh, fintech lenders to small business. Um, Andrew, what do you reckon of Prosper? Yeah, well, it's had an interesting history. They, yeah. they did list recently, but they tried in 2018 and they sort of famously had to pull that because ASIC sort of said, well, actually, we're not yeah, quite happy with a lot of this yeah. kind of stuff that, that you're doing. And so anyway, they had another crack at it. They've, they've, they've come back onto the market. They listed last year about 350, I want to say. Um, they rallied uh, well up there, almost five bucks, and now they're $1.15 or so. So it's been a very bumpy ride. I mean, you, you can understand why they've fallen away recently, right? I mean, their customer base is just doing it. Yeah. Super tough at the moment with yeah. what's happened with, with the lockdowns. It's actually a tough business, generally speaking. Anyway, I mean, as as a lender, you've got to make sure that you know that your cost of capital is less than than, yeah. than than what you're charging for it. So you've always got to watch things like defaults and the rest of it. They charge the interest rates extra, extraordinarily extraordinarily yeah. high. Yeah. Um, they kind of need to be in in the space where they where there are a lot of defaults and the rest of it. But there is that credit risk that is there, and these businesses. Um, can be wonderfully profitable when run really well, but but they they it's not uncommon for them to blow up yeah. because it, it doesn't take much for things to go against you, and if your access to capital dries up and everything can just become insolvent very 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 quickly. So um, all of that sort of said, um, they are they're unprofitable yet small startup kind of company, but they're trading at about one and a half times sales. So if you had good reason to expect, and, and by the way, their, their, their sales have been growing really well. Their customer numbers have been growing really right. well. Yeah. So there's a big, big grab for market share here. So the, the two ifs here is if that continues um, in terms of market share and if that um, translates to bottom line growth, then you could probably look at this and say, actually, things are super cheap. Yeah. But, but it's a high risk play, I would say, at this right. stage. And I would want to spend weeks on this before I was comfortable with buying it. Okay. So, yeah, an interesting fintech play, basically making loans easy for businesses to get through a usable platform. Essentially, what's happened in the last couple of decades is the banks have pulled out of business lending in many yeah. cases, but broadly speaking. Um, they're focusing their efforts on residential mortgages because the way that APRA categorizes the capital a loan to a residential home is better on the books than yeah. a business loan. So Prosper's seen that, identified that as an opportunity, gone into that market. They had a, a, all the, they had one of these um, IPO campaigns where it was all yeah. well marketed um, across all the different media outlets, et cetera. But unfortunately, they just haven't met or met so far their prospectus expectations. And that was even before this year's uh, COVID-19 hit, which has obviously then created even more issues for that business. Uh, so, look, in principle, the business makes sense, but there are definitely challenges for them going forward. They did get a bit of a boost from the government's small to medium-sized business loan guarantee scheme. 
Uh, Prosper basically got a big allocation of funds there, of which the government's going to guarantee 50% yep. of the loan. Um, so that will that has created a bit of upward momentum in the share price. Will give their business a bit of a boost, but. From a long-term perspective, I just don't see any need to be getting into a business that was doing it tough prior to this environment, not to mention now when the business community is doing it extra tough, I see it very difficult for a company like Prosper to thrive in this environment. They might survive, they might maintain or even build their market share through this period, but it's hardly going to be that profitable for them. They might come out the other side in a very good or much improved competitive position, but it's not going to be an easy feat. And with interest rates so low, so long, like... Philip Lowe's kept going, you know, we're not going to change interest rates for two or three years at the moment. Mm. So that becomes Mm. a hard environment. There's no margin for them. I mean, the fact that they're targeting small and medium-sized businesses who might be a little bit more desperate to get the cash in the door straight away means they can probably charge a higher interest rate. But even still, they're still at the mercy to some respect, in some respect to the interest rate. And as that interest rate falls, you would think that their margins are also under pressure. Yep. Okay. All right. So a no from uh, Alexander for Prosper. Although Andrew says for a bit of hope, he'd need to do a lot more work into it. (laughs) The devil is always in the detail. It's one of those stocks. All right. Our seventh stock, Aurora. Uh, In the news just in the last uh, day or so, the big packaging uh, company um, sold their Australian fibre unit to uh, Nippon Paper and have announced a special dividend, I think, in the, in the last couple of days, haven't they, Mark? Yeah, so Aurora was a spin-out um, from Amcor, I think going back, um, from, yeah, for going back a number of years yeah, now. Right. Yeah. Um, so basically there was two parts of the business. There was the fibre business, which was always the small market operator compared to Vizi, who's, yep. who was the big player in that space. But Aurora's benefits um, or competitive advantage was always in the, the plastics, which is used for your Coke bottles, etc. Um, so they've obviously spun off the fiber business where they didn't have the competitive advantage. They're focusing on their core business, which they're expanding into the US quite nicely. It's actually a company that we held for clients going back a number of years. We still have some clients holding it. I must admit, it has been a bit of a, a letdown. Um, and I think the problem for this business is that it's X growth or it's lacking growth drivers. Um, the US was meant to be the big driver of growth for them. That hasn't come to fruition. Um, the fact is, the fact that they're giving that capital back from their divestment is a good indication that the management don't know what to do with the money. They have no better use for it than just giving it back to shareholders. Right. There's no expansion propositions really for them. So for us, it's a, a business that it's, look, it's a stable company. The demand is always going to be there. They have in recent years seen their margins start to plateau after a period where margins expanded. So for a long time, their management stripped out a lot of the costs of the business. They boosted up margins, but that can't be done forever. You can't just cut costs forever and you can't sort of yeah, keep that up. Otherwise, you're mm. with no business. So yeah. for us, this is a business that's lacking growth mm. opportunities. We'll pay a steady dividend that will probably support the price. But from our point of view, it's probably a sell with a view to redeploying the money in better growth alternatives. Right. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, it's just not an exciting business. I mean, yeah. and it's a tough business yeah. uh, as well. Um, earnings have been growing okay in the last few years that I looked at it, but you know, I'm sort of zooming back a bit. No- yeah. nothing, nothing too impressive there. In fact, the forecasts that I was looking at were for flat earnings, and yet you, you've got shares trading on a P of 19, or so, which is sort of up there for a business that's X growth. I will say I do find it refreshing that I, I do like it when a board and management team recognise that there's no growth opportunities and give the money back to, to, right. the, to shareholders. 
it's far worse to take money and make bad investments, which is going to be really, you know, uh, eroding shareholder uh, wealth. So, that, so that's a good thing. But that's really the kind of play here you want with something like Aurora. You need it to have a very realistic management team here that, that are just going to run this for cash as, you know, as leanly as they possibly can, distribute, maximize the dividend payment. And as you say, a low interest rate world, if they can mm. sustain a 6 7% mm, yeah. fully frank dividend, that's actually a wonderful investment. Even if you sell your shares at the same price you bought them yep. for 10 years later, it, it's, it's not bad. But the, the, what often happens with companies like that is that they always there's always a little bit of hope that comes in with a new acquisition or maybe we could go into a new t territory like the US and mm -hmm. and it often ends up with, with a lot of shareholder capital being blown up. So right. got, for, for me, I want to have a really, really clear view on what management's long-term plans are. Yeah. So it uh, brings up an interesting point, doesn't it? If you're an investor in a company, because Michael, you yeah. were saying, you know, a special dividend, investor go, oh, beauty, extra money I wasn't expecting. But then the other side of it is, do you start to question management? Is that always the case? Well, it's not like I'm questioning management. I just start, like they've probably done as good a They've job as they could. Ideas. It's just that it's that type of business. What, what attracted us to it originally was it's a fairly conservatively run business that was generating earnings, uh, earnings growth and margin expansion. That's not something you would normally uh, associate with a very conservative business like that. So we thought, look, four, four and a half percent fully franked yield. It's expanding margins, expanding earnings. It's, it's a worthy it's a worthy pick as it expands right. into the US. But yeah. then as that started to dry up, it was obvious that the growth kickers weren't going to come in as expected from the US. It was obvious that management had stripped out all the costs that it could from that business. Uh, and it was, uh, it was understood that margins were going to flatline. So all the attractive features for the business started to disappear. And there's yeah. just probably better alternatives elsewhere. We still have a few clients that are happy to be in there for the dividend. Um, this special dividend would come as a good time for them when the banks, for instance, yeah. Yeah, uh, paying dividends back. are deferred. So it does have its attractive features for certain investors, but like generally speaking, there's not much to get excited about. And it's just going to be a boring basic packaging company that generates a, a small margin, spits out some good cash flow, but isn't really right. going to grow okay. that much. And very right. one, very one quick uh, trap for play, new players here as well is that you've got to be aware that once that dividend's paid out, that's reflected mm -hmm. in the share price. It's like the share price drops by the dividend <laughs> right. amount. Yep. So there's no free kicks. There's no free kicks here as well. You've got to keep that in mind. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. All right. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Jared. Uh, so a no from, from Andrew and um, a, a sell from Michael. Our eighth stock is Macmillan Shakespeare. A, um, this is one of these salary packaging accounting type businesses um, that if you, um, if you have your salary packaged at work, they'll give, give advice on novated leases for a car, and superannuation things, all these tax affected packaging areas. There are a few of them on the market. Um, what do you think of this one, Andrew? Uh, I'm not that excited about it. It's it's a it's just it's not an exciting business model. It's 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 one of these businesses where when you've got operational excellence, you know, you've got really smart people running it, then yeah, you can do okay. But you want yeah. to, it was a Munger or Buffett who said you don't you want a business that an idiot can run because <laughs> one day an idiot's going to be running a business, you know. And and Macmillan Shakespeare is not a business like that. That is a business that requires a lot of savvy, a lot of sales skills. They're sort of walking a bit of a you know a legislative, regulative, regulatory, regulatory tightrope there in terms of how those those rules can change. Remember, not yeah. wasn't that long ago when there was some question yeah. mark over the very you know viability of their business because of changes the government was talking about. So, 
Um, and even even when you just peel it all back and look at the how the, the business itself has performed, I mean, earnings have been flat more or less for five years or so. The the uh, the viewer may well have interest in it because as a value play, I, I had a quick look at the PE. It's nine, so that's right. that's pretty low, particularly in, in this kind of market. So. So there might be a bit of a value play there, but it's just not attractive enough for me to warrant. You know, maybe if it got yeah. crazy cheap, then at that at that point, but but not at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Look, I mean, the salary packaging part of the company I think has held up okay. The Novated leasing part has been struggling. New car sales, used car sales have been in decline, um, and the problem is for a business like this, the, the credit risk is increasing. Asset prices are under under risk as well, or coming under pressure too. So. That has impacts on working capital. Um, they've got a fair bit of debt on their balance sheet, which at the moment's within the covenants, et cetera, but that might change if the current tough conditions continue. Um, so again, it's a business that I never really could get my head around that well. Um, so it's one that we've always sort of avoided, but it does look relatively cheap. It does pay a decent income. So that might lure some people to the table, but for us, it's not one that okay. we can look at. Yeah, and I think we've talked about it before, just because it's, Cheap. Well, that's right. Doesn't mean it's got to go. It might be cheap for a reason. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it could get cheaper. <laughs> Andrew touched upon it like a couple of years ago. I think it was under the, even the Gillard government back then. They were looking to make some changes to the tax yeah. laws, which essentially eradicated the need for these sorts of businesses to even exist. And ever since then, I don't think the multiple, the P ratio has ever recovered to the levels it was because it's basically been at a discount. And I think there's a good chance that could happen again. That's right. Uh, with well, um, yeah. the tax reform agenda of mm -hmm. this government to try yeah. and get the uh, get the budget mm. restructured uh, over the next two years or That's so. All right. Uh, so, Christine, a no and a no there from uh, from Andrew and um, and Michael. We're going to finish off with two investment management companies, listed investment management companies. Um, one founded by a rock star of old, um, and the other one, a current investment rock star. Um, so we'll kick off with Platinum Asset Management, international fund manager. I'm old enough to remember when Ken Nielsen, who founded Platinum, worked for BT, and, um, and then decided to go out on his own. And um, Andrew, it's been, it's been a great business, hasn't it? And, um, it has, and, um, and I had Ken, a Care Nielsen's made a lot of money out of it. He has indeed. He has indeed. And and I had a look at um, some of the, the managed funds that they've, they've got a bunch yep. of them. And yeah. they all, just at a, at a quick high level glance, all sort of double digit returns long term. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're, de they're delivering for investors. Um, interestingly enough, though, the, the share price for Platinum Asset itself is actually below where it was five years ago. And mm. the distributions haven't grown at all as well. So they have had a bit of a tough patch there. Um, most recently, some very big fund outflows, and of course, their portfolio values have taken a, a hit yeah. as well. So there's less fund funds under management, and they, they make uh, money as a percentage of that. So that that makes it uh, a tough because that's well. their business model, is that they yeah. manage fund for people, yep. charge you a a percentage on how much that you've got invested. That's their revenue stream, and they get a kicker with a performance fee if they yep. manage to outperform their benchmark by a right. certain amount. Well, there's no performance fee, I don't think, on the Just horizon. Look at that at the so. middle of 2017, uh, up at, what around eight dollars seventy. Yeah, yeah, and then big falls. And so I, I look. For, for me, um, I'm a direct investor, and so I kind of, it, it seems a bit silly to outsource it to someone else when that's what you're doing for a living right, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah. uh, so it's, but it's valid for a normal, re you know, an investor who ha has no knowledge or doesn't want to get involved in 
any knowledge? Oh, not, not, as, not many people are as nerdy as us when yep, it comes yep. to, to this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and if you don't have an interest in it, you, you should be going sort of in these directions. But um, you, have to, you have to have a very um, high level of confidence in, in the fund managers themselves. I yep. mean, there's, there's a lot of key people risk if one of them leave. And like, as you said, yep. here was at BT and then over yeah, here. Yeah. And so so that, that can happen. And, and even the best investors have hot runs and cold runs. So I tend to think personally, for me, if that's the way I was going to go, I like, I'm with Buffett, I go the ET, low cost index ETFs right. because you, you do have to factor in those fees that you, yeah. you pay. Yep. Um, if you are going to go for a, a, an active fund manager, I think there's a lot more interesting stuff in sort of the niche, smaller cap kind of space where you've got newer fund managers who have got mm. something to prove. Okay. And it's actually, it's a huge challenge to manage a billion dollars. I mean, where do you, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of things you just can't even look at because you, you, you move yeah. the price too much. And I think some of those smaller, more nimble guys are really interesting. So there's, there's a lot of personal bias in that answer. So I don't mean to, to, okay. to cast mud at Platinum, but it, it's, it's not one that I, I know intimately okay. well. Um, Platinum, look, these fund managers, the, the economics of them can actually be quite good as long as you've got your funds under management moving in the right direction. Yeah, so if you've yeah. got new funds coming in, your funds are performing well and you're exceeding benchmarks, it's a very simple model. You get a management fee, you get a performance fee, you get a bit of admin fees and that sort of stuff on the side. But for someone like Platinum, who was the, the market leader when it came to international investing, yeah. I mean, in this country we had AMP, Perpetual, we had AXA, they were sort of the incumbents, but they were mainly focused on domestic investments and were pretty much asleep at the wheel looking back in retrospect. Um, so you had someone like Platinum came in who really opened up international investing to Australian investors and institutions. And financial planners love them. Financial planners <laughs> love them. But that ended up being to their detriment because they got so used to the financial planners coming to them that they didn't really market, didn't really advertise, didn't no. really foster and go out and engender new relationships. Then you had the new kid on the block, Magellan, come in who basically usurped Platinum. Um, Platinum had 30 billion funds under management five years ago, now down to 20. Magellan had about 20 billion five years ago, now has about 100 billion. So Magellan was out there, now they're the financial planning favorite. They've had very good performance over the short, medium and long term. Yep. Whereas Platinum has had very good long term performance, but it's had very poor short, medium term performance. And the market is still trying to work out whether that's because Kerr Nelson's now stepped away from the day-to-day -day operations of the yep. firm and whether or not those previous returns can be replicated with him not being there any longer. Mm -hmm. um, it also comes down to the investment strategy and, and the geographical focus. Platinum's got a very different investment style to Magellan. Um, Platinum's more sort of a value manager, which has been a, a strategy which has struggled over the last decade. They've had a bigger focus on Asia and Japan. Um, whereas Magellan's had a bigger focus on the US and those tech fang names that have done incredibly well. So it just hasn't gone Platinum's way in recent times. And yeah. with funds under management falling, poor performance uh, of their funds relative to the benchmarks, they've seen management fees fall. Yeah. Uh, they haven't really been getting that many performance so, fees. So no on Platinum, keep on the roll. Keep on because, the roll, yeah, keep Because going. Magellan mm -hmm. um, has been suggested from Mitchell. Yeah. So we go from an old... Investment rock star, as you described, yeah. <laughs> uh, moving out away from the business to uh, Hamish Douglas, who runs yep. Magellan, and he is the, the current investment guru. Yeah. Look, Magellan's one that we've actually held for a long period of time. Um, not every client holds it because in recent times we've struggled to sort of justify the valuation because it does trade on such a big premium relative to its peers. Right. But you could argue that they, they justify that given their recent performance, which is in the top you know, decile when it comes to performance, but also you know, rebalanced for volatility. 
um, rebalance for sort of the upside that they capture relative to the downside that they capture. On all those sort of key metrics, Magellan's done incredibly well. Uh, the difficult thing for them is to maintain this growth long term, uh, particularly once the rock star manager steps away potentially, whenever that might occur. Um, but there's a lot to like uh, about this business. They're now, because they've gone through that expansion phase, they're becoming more of an income play as well these days because right. they're generating some decent dividend yields. But it's a market-facing business. It's going to be volatile and it's going to really follow the moves in the broader financial markets. Um, that's just the type of business that it is. So, look, that is a fund manager that has all those key metrics moving in the right direction. But do keep in mind you're at the mercy of the market volatility right. ultimately. So would you be investing in it? Yeah, look, I'm happy to, to hold Magellan. Right. I, I tend to buy just on any weakness. Right. But at $55 and the big premium to peers, it's hard to have an outright buy on it. Yep. Andrew? I'm going to agree with that 100%. Yeah, I mean, they've done remarkably well. Their share price has doubled in the last five years. Dividend, dividends have more than doubled. So, And I think now about 3.5% mm, yeah. yield. Um, so that's not terrible. But yep. yeah, it's, it's just not my cup of tea. Okay. Yeah. All right, just to recap, that's our, our 10 prosper. Um, uh, a no from, um, um, from Michael and a uh, high risk needs a lot of work. Uh, from Andrew, Aurora. Um, a no from Andrew and, and a sell from Michael. Macmillan Sh Shakespeare, uh, no from both. Platinum, a no from both. Uh, Magellan, um, if you can buy it on a pullback, it's very expensive at the moment, but a really good performer. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for today. Really thank appreciate you. your time and your thank guidance you. there. Words of wisdom, if you'd like to suggest any stocks that you'd like us to cover, uh, 10 stocks during the day, um, just email the call at osbiz.com.au or go to Twitter, use the handle AusbizTV.